Make a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Missio Church. My name is Chris Ferugio. Uh, my wife, Karina, and I are, are covenant members here at Missio um, and have been for about six years. Uh, if you don't know us, um, our kids are the ones that are in the back left that are probably distracting you at some point. So we, we apologize for that. And, and, and we thank you for your, your patience and your understanding. Uh, my family and I have, have just received grace upon grace from the Lord through, through so many of you guys here. Um, and it's been humbling to be a, a part of a body that, that seeks to, to give every man, woman, and child an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Uh, it's been humbling to be part of a, a body who, who seeks to, to live faithful lives of worship to the glory of God. I, I don't think that Everybody here understands the, the gift that you've been given uh, to sit under faithful preaching week in and week out from, from elders who, who believe the word of God alone is, is sufficient for all of life, from elders who, who pray for you by name, from, from elders who, who serve you and, and sacrifice for you, from elders who, who will labor to see Christ formed in you. We have been given a great gift that I don't know that we, we all fully appreciate to pray for them, be thankful for them. It's my honor and joy to be able to open the scriptures together with you, to worship over them together with you, and, and really have no business being up here. None of us has any business being up here, and we don't have any authority in and of ourselves to, to open God's word and, and speak it. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world. God has chosen what is weak so that no man may boast in his presence. And so thank you for the opportunity to to open the scriptures with you. We're going to be in in Psalm 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and open up there. It's on page 456 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. And we're, we're continuing our series called the Songs of the Great King as we walk through the Psalms. And so this morning we come to the 19th Psalm. This is the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the world, through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are True and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Pray with me. God, we, we come to your word humbly. We ask that you would, you would use your word to, to change us, to transform us. May your word teach us and correct us and train us in righteousness. May your word cause us to rejoice. May it convict us. May we be transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we behold your word. May we be conformed to the image of Christ as we meditate on your word. May some pass from death to life as they hear your word. May we see glorious things from you, O Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's consider one of the most important questions that anyone can ask. Does God speak? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever asked yourself, does God speak? Does God communicate? It's a question worth considering. Now, maybe some of you are here and, and, and you're thinking, well, yeah, maybe God spoke at one point in time, but he doesn't speak anymore. Or maybe you think that he, he has spoken and he continues to speak, but you're not sure what he says or, or even how he says it. Maybe there's some here that uh, think God has spoken, but things he said are too harsh or too demanding or too out of step with our modern culture. Maybe even there's, there's some here who, who would say God has never spoken, has simply been absent from the world. You see, we all believe certain things about who God is and how God speaks. And, and what we need to recognize is that what we believe about these things will actually influence how we live. And so as we look at Psalm 19, we, we get to see who God is and how God speaks. And right away we see that God is creator and that he communicates his glory to the world through creation, what's sometimes called general revelation. So look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. This is, this is the banner verse over verses 1 through 6. Everything else that follows explains and gives, gives life to this verse. Our first clue that David's talking about God speaking is in the word declare. There's a declaration. There's an announcement. It's not a whisper. It's a forceful proclamation. It's a loud word. It's a convicting word. And it's intended to be heard by all people, in all places, and at all times. And this word, this proclamation, is coming from the heavens above and the sky above. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above 
proclaims his handiwork. Which is to say that, that the sun, the stars, the moon, they're, they're communicating, they're declaring something. So what, what exactly are they declaring? They are declaring the glory of God. They are proclaiming God's handiwork. They're announcing that they don't exist by their own power or for their own purposes. They're announcing that there is one who has created them to reveal his glory, to reveal that God is creator. Consider for a minute with me just the sheer grandeur of the heavens. So scientists will estimate that there's about 500 billion galaxies in the universe. Give or take a few, I don't know. Right? So and, and out of those one, one of those 500 billion galaxies is, is the Milky Way galaxy, right? That's our galaxy. And within that galaxy, which is an average-sized galaxy, apparently, there, there's 400 billion stars, right? So, so, so for those of you doing the quick math, that's, that's two sextillion stars. That's, that's two followed by 23 zeros, right? And, and one of those two sextillion stars is the sun, Right? Think about just the size of the sun. Right? We, you can actually fit 109 Earths across the, the diameter of the sun. It's 865,000 miles. If that's not hard enough to wrap your mind around, think about the temperature of the sun. At its core, again, however they come up with these numbers, at its core, 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. God created all of this. The heavens are massive. They're beautiful. They're, they're glorious. They reflect our creator. And as we keep reading, we see three ways that God's glory is revealed through creation. So number one, God's glory is revealed at all times. God's glory is revealed at all times. Verse two, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So every time the sun rises and runs across the sky, God is speaking. And every time the sun sets and the stars and the moon light up the night sky, God is teaching. He does this over and over again, day after day, without pause. There's not a single point in time from creation until now that God has ever stopped speaking. It's just, it's hard to wrap our minds around this concept of endless speech, right? Maybe, maybe some of you guys know some, some kids that can help you get close to that, right? right? Just think about my son, right? He's, he's always talking about his trucks and how he's got to line them up against the back part of the couch so his little sister doesn't get them or, 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 or his Lego uh, ice cream factory and, and how he likes, loves showing that off or, or, or how he likes chocolate ice cream and how his, his dad likes vanilla ice cream, not vanilla, but vanilla ice cream, right? Or all the questions that he, he asks about why things are the way they are, or why he has to eat or why he has to sleep. Right, you can kind of get close. But eventually, he goes to sleep and he stops talking, right? God is different than two-year-olds, though, right? He never stops talking. He never stops revealing knowledge. His glory is revealed at all times. Number two, God's glory is revealed to all people. Verse three, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. 
And so not only is God always speaking, not only is he always teaching, but his words don't fall in deaf ears. He's actually always heard. You see, every human being hears God as they see creation. You might say, I don't hear anything. I've never heard him speak. But you do. It's not in the way that we normally think about speech. You see, what God does is he, he makes these, these vast, impossible to understand dots in the sky called the star and the moon and the, the sun. And, and he puts them up for us to see as a way of saying, I'm really big. I'm really powerful. I'm really creative. I can create something out of nothing. See, he's not audibly saying a single word. But oh, is he speaking? And you and I and every single person on the planet hears that, hears him as we see creation. Sometimes we choose to suppress or ignore what we hear. And sometimes we take what is, what is clear speech from God and against all rational thought attempt to explain it as something that's not from God. My, my wife and I have actually done something similar to this many times. It's, it's two in the morning. Neither of us have gotten any sleep for the past few days. And that piercing cry comes from the baby's room. Right? It, it's, it's unmistakable. It's, it's, it's our daughter. She's crying. But we wake up and we're half asleep and, and we look at each other and, and one of us might say, oh, is, that, is that Aaliyah? And the other one says, no, 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 it's just... It's just the neighbor's dog barking. It's, it's not her. It can't be her. Right? It, it, it's irrational. It's, it's illogical. Right? Our, our daughter is crying. But, but what, we, what we do is, is because we don't want to go downstairs, we convince ourselves that the sound of a crying baby, which requires a response, depending on how you parent, right, <laughs> is actually the sound of a barking dog, which requires no response. And I guess, depending on what kind of neighbor you are, right? Like, we, we do this. And in the same way, many of us have, have heard God speaking as we've looked at the sheer grandeur of the heavens, or the brilliance of a sunset, the roaring waves of the ocean, or the, the clear design of human DNA. And we've just said, that's, that's randomness. That's not the sign of a creator. Friends, there is no excuse when it comes to seeing the glory of God in creation. We have all seen it, which means we have all heard God declaring his glory as creator. Don't suppress or ignore what has been plainly revealed to you. God's glory is revealed to all people. Number three, God's glory is revealed in all places. Verse four, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. You see, there's not a single place on the planet in which God's glory is not declared. His glory is declared at the top of Mount Everest and in your car on the ride to work. His glory is declared in the middle of a Syracuse winter storm and in the sun on the beach. Every single part of creation is filled with the voice and words of God revealing his glory. 
And David wants us to understand this. And so he gives us this illustration of the sun, something that we're all familiar with, right? To, to show us the omnipresence, the everywhereness of God's glory. In verse 4, he says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun bursts forth from the horizon with the delight of a bridegroom, or with the joy of a strong man ready to run his race. And it spans across the entire landscape with, with power and with radiance from one end of the world to the other. And its rays and its heat affect and touch everything. Nothing can hide from the sun. It's in this picture of the sun that we see that God's glory touches every square inch of this planet. God's glory is revealed everywhere. So God declares his glory to the world through creation at all times, to all people, and in all places. And maybe we just need to take a moment and, and be amazed. Let that sink in that the God of all creation is actually speaking to us. Like tonight, when you look up at the stars and, and the moon, like, let it bring you to worship that, that he created all that. And, and in creating that, he's, he's speaking about his glory to us. And tomorrow morning, when you wake up and see the sunrise, like, let it fill your hearts with praise. The God of the Bible is the creator of all things. And he's speaking of his existence. If we would just listen. He's telling of his goodness. If we would listen. He's, he's convincing us of his beauty who would open our eyes and see. Now, there is a danger and a deficiency of, of stopping right here and just isolating Psalm 1 through 6 from the rest of it. See, here's the danger. If, if we stopped right here, we could, we could legitimately conclude that, that all we need in order to, to worship and to know God is, is a hike up a mountain or, or a boat on a lake, right? Because after all, God speaks through creation, but that conclusion is, is dangerous, and that's, that's another religion altogether. The question then is, is creation enough? Is it sufficient to know God? Has God revealed enough and what he's made to communicate to us all that needs to be communicated? About who he is, about who we are, about how we can become right with him. And, and here's where the deficiency becomes clear. There are certainly great glories to be seen in all of creation. And, and really, even the most superficial observation of, of creation is, is enough to hold you and I accountable to know that God exists. But on its own, creation is insufficient to real, reveal the most important truths. What's lacking in creation is a a full understanding of God's holiness and man's sinfulness and the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he's reconciled man and God. As he built into creation are, are hints of these realities, right? but, but without the proper lens, without the proper glasses, we can't actually understand that. Creation simply doesn't give us enough to be made right with God. 
but the scriptures do. And David doesn't stop at verse 6. He gives us more about who God is and how he speaks. So he communicates his glory to the world through creation, and the Lord communicates his glory to his people through the law. Sometimes called special revelation. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So David transitions from God as as glorious creator to God as personal lawgiver. And we we get this beautiful poem about the, the power and sufficiency of God's word. We quickly see this pattern, how he describes the written word of God. And he answers three questions about the written word. Uh, number one, what are the names he uses for the word of God? What are the, number two, what are the characteristics of this word? And number three, what does this word do? So one, what are the names or the titles used for the word of God? We see phrases like law of the Lord, testimony of the Lord, precepts of the Lord, commandment of the Lord, rules of the Lord. Each of them has a unique flavor, but they all mean the written word of God, the whole doctrine of God. They're all terms that in some sense refer to God's revealed will as given in the Bible. Two, what are the the characteristics or qualities of this word? The word is perfect. Sure, it's right. It's pure. It's, It's true. There's nothing missing or lacking from the scriptures. They are sufficient for all of life. There's nothing evil or inconsistent or false in the scriptures. They're altogether lovely. God's word is absolute. It's it's trustworthy. It's faultless. It's supreme. It's glorious. Number three, what does God's word do? It is a strange thing to say that words do something. I get that. We hear phrases all the time like talk is cheap or actions speak louder than words. Our our words have no power to do anything, right? It's only what we do, our our actions that mean anything or make a difference. And so to hear the question, what does God's word do, might, might sound a little off. But again, God is different than us. When God speaks, something happens. Right? Think Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. We get this pattern through all of Genesis 1. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it happened. Right? God spoke, and his word accomplished something. God's word does something. So what, what does his word do? His word revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. His word has the power to transform our whole being, our soul, our minds, our hearts, our eyes. are all changed by the word of the Lord. It's through the Bible that sinners are made alive. It's through the Bible that minds are matured. It's, it's through the Bible that hearts overflow with joy. It's, it's through the Bible that eyes are opened. Let 
And knowing that the word of God given to us in the Bible is perfect and transforms souls, how should we think and how should we feel about it? There is an appropriate response our hearts and our minds should have to the word of God. What is that response? Is it boring to us? Is it confusing? Is it outdated? Would we rather go play sports or go watch TV or go listen to music? The psalmist has a much different response than maybe many of us have when we think about the Bible. Look at verse 10. It says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. He is absolutely pumped about the Bible. Just think about, again, my, my son, this past Friday, he was getting ready for his uncle's wedding, and, and he's just running around the house, jumping up and down, saying, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. Uncle Johnny, are you excited? Yeah, dude, I'm excited. It's my wedding. <laughs> he, he, was, he was excited about something he didn't even really know about. Right? This is the way that David speaks about the word of God. There's value and delight to be had in the Bible. Now think about the most expensive things you own. Or probably your, your house or your car. And many of us have, have worked hard to save up to, to be able to buy these things. And, and then think about the, the price tag on some of the most expensive stuff in the world. It, a 1963 Ferrari 250 GTO, whatever those numbers and letters mean, right? That, that goes for $70 million. Right? Or, or Buckingham Palace, the, the house of the royal family, is valued at $1.55 billion. We can't even wrap our minds around these things. The value that's placed in the gold of this present age, is, it's, it's just unthinkable. It's hard to comprehend for the average person. And, and what the psalmist is saying is, is the Bible, the, the very words of God, are, are to be desired more than a $1.5 billion house. Because there's more value in the word of God than even in unthinkable riches. Garrett Cole just signed a, a contract for the Yankees. Right, Jordan? Uh, and he's looking at $36 million a year. Right? If you had to choose, and I'm not saying that wealth and, and the scriptures are incompatible, but if you had to choose to have his salary or to own and know the word of God, what would you choose? See, we, we desire and we value the things that our, our hearts cling to. We value, do we value the word of God appropriately? Do we value the wisdom of God more than cars? Do we value the word of God more than wealth? Now think about the foods that bring you the most satisfaction. Right? Maybe some Tully's tenders, maybe a nice burrito from Chipotle. Right? Think about the satisfaction you get when you enjoy these things. God's word is, is sweeter and more delightful than all of that. Right? These things are, are delightful and enjoyable so that when we enjoy them, 
We get a picture of, of what it should be like to enjoy and value the word of God. We get to see the sweetness of the, the law of the Lord as we enjoy something like cake or cookies or ice cream. There's value and delight in the Bible. There's also restraint and reward in the Bible. Verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You see, when we come to the Bible, we see many warnings against sin, unbelief, evil desires, temptations. God shows us the way that leads to death. And, and he says that if you pursue those things, those who walk in darkness will not inherit the kingdom of God. I just wonder that if you've ever noticed that in times of foolish living, or sinfulness, maybe you weren't actually reading God's word. Maybe you actually weren't being instructed by God's word. May we store up the word in our minds so that our, our consciences would convict us of sin. May we, we store up the word in our hearts that we might not sin against God. May God's word restrain us from foolishness. The Bible is actually much more than just a list of things not to do. It's a storehouse of reward. And not reward given like earning a paycheck. Don't, don't get confused by, by the phrase, in keeping them there is great reward, as if to say uh, the reward comes through your, your effort. No, no, no. Your very keeping of God's word is a grace from God. Your obedience to God's word is his grace to you. And so what is the reward? Again, certainly there's, there's great rewards here, here on, on earth, but, but the great reward is seeing Jesus face to face. It's being with him fully and finally in restored relationship. The path to that reward is grace-driven obedience to the word of God. If you've never thought of the word of God in, in these terms, could it be that you've never actually spent time in it? What endeavor is more worthwhile than investing your time in a book that can revive your soul? If the scriptures seem dull or boring to you, could it be that you've never searched them? And I mean truly searched them. Right? Treasure is rarely easily found. Dig until you find treasure. If the Bible is confusing to you, could it be that you've never been taught well? Find a friend who knows the scriptures. Spend time with them. Ask them for guidance. May we desire the word of God more than we desire the riches of this life. May the Bible be sweeter to us than the finest tasting sweets in all the world. And may we know the restraint and reward of the scriptures. It's been said that God has, has written two books, right? The, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And, and we've worshiped over the content of each of these books. But I just want to spend a little time considering the, the connection between these. Is there a connection between the, the world of God and the word of God? Or, or are they just two different forms of, of revelation, two different forms of speech from God without any unity? 
One author writes, in scripture and in nature, God speaks with one voice. In order to truly know and worship God, we need both books. We need scripture. We need nature. They're so united that some have said, and I think rightly, that, that each of them are actually meaningless without each other. That a full experience of the things of God is actually dependent on a right interpretation of the things of earth. That, that an understanding of why anything exists as it does only comes through the lens of the scriptures. So here's some illustrations maybe to make this a little, a little less abstract. And, and these are all over the scriptures, but maybe just to give you a little bit. We could say that, that lions exist to show us a picture of the devil seeking to kill and destroy. We could say that a blanket of white snow after a Syracuse storm helps us appreciate how clean the work of Christ makes us. Or to use the example in Psalm 19, we could say that honey exists that we might know the sweetness of the word of God. We get a physical reality actually helping us understand the spiritual reality. The the book of scripture teaches us how to read and interpret the book of nature. And the book of nature brings the book of scripture to life with, with concrete and visible things. And these things are, are profound. We could spend a lifetime considering them. But there's actually another layer to the unity between the heavens and the law of the Lord. And namely, in the person and work of Jesus. How does Jesus relate to creation? Paul tells us in Colossians that it was by him that all things were created in heaven and on earth. And so through Jesus, the glory of God is is seen and declared. And then he himself, he enters into creation. He becomes a man. He puts on flesh. And he enters into that which displays the glory of God so that he could display the glory of God even more clearly than all of the heavens. He is the perfect representation of God. He perfectly displays the glory of God. How does Jesus relate to the word of God? Jesus himself tells us in Luke 24 that that all the scriptures were were about him. They were foreshadowing him. They were meant to point to him. Every word in the Bible is about Jesus. In John's gospel, he's the word made flesh. In in Hebrews, he's the final word of God. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the word of God. He is perfect and revives the soul. He is sure and makes wise the simple. He is right and rejoices the heart. He is pure and enlightens the eyes. He is clean and endures forever. He is true and is righteous altogether. Jesus is the word of God. And all of creation exists because God made it through him. Now, David now just goes on to transition to a plea to God in light of who he is. And look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. If you were to think about God as creator and God as lawgiver, what might be your first response? 
It's tempting to consider something like the law of the Lord and, and respond with a renewed attempt to obey it, right? Or, or, or on the other side, right? Equally tempting to respond with despair as you, as you consider its demands. But what was David's response? He, he begged God to keep him from sin. That's his response. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Of all responses, why this one? See, when we see God in all his glory and his splendor and his holiness, we begin to see how far short we fall of him. He is, he is righteous and perfect and has authority over everything, including you and I. And we are sinful and broken and continually rebel against him. And so what's the only proper response it's not I will and then fill in the blank with whatever kind of religious or good activity you can think of. That's not the right response. The, the, the only proper response is, is God, I need you. God, keep me from myself. Keep me from sinning. You must act on my behalf. And so the question is, is, is has God acted on our behalf? And the answer from David is a resounding yes as, as we look at the titles he uses for the Lord. Verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is Jesus. Jesus is our rock. He is a place of protection, an unshakable source of help. Jesus is our redeemer. He pays the penalty to give us a salvation that we, we don't deserve. Jesus is our protector. Jesus is our savior. God has acted in history to save us from our sins. If only we would repent. We have a God who speaks. Just think about that. The God of the universe stoops down and speaks to us. He's not mute like all their false gods. Instead, he speaks with one voice in creation and in scripture. He's given us this beautiful world and transforming word in order that we might know and enjoy him. If you want to see God's wonder, look at creation. If you want to hear God's voice, open the Bible. May we study the book of nature and know and worship God as he deserves. And may we study and hunger for this book and know it as a treasure, delight, restraint, and reward that it truly is. May we see and savor the glory of God, ultimately in the person and work. Of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, we, we love you because you first loved us. Because you entered into history, into this world, in Jesus. And you did what was necessary to, to save us from our sin and from your wrath. We thank you for that gift.
We thank you that you have spoken clearly to us through Jesus. We thank you that you've, you've created this world to, to know your wonder and to have even tangible expressions of the spiritual realities of your word. Pray that you would help us to value and delight your word. That you would use your word to restrain us. That we would know the reward of your word. Pray that you would transform us, our whole soul, through your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.